pray. <clears throat> o Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm not sure if I've ever told you this before, but I was marked absent on the first day of school in the first grade. And it bothers me to this day because it's the only unexcused absence I got in all of elementary school. But I came by it honestly. It was a mistake. See, when the teacher called the roll, she used my first name, George, which I never go by. In fact, many of you may not know that my first name is George. And so she called George, and I didn't respond. That's not my name. My name is Ricky. And so I got marked absent, which normally would have been okay, not a big deal. But apparently, um, I didn't know how much a problem this was until I got home off the bus that afternoon, and there is my mom in the front yard in a panic. And I walk up, and she says, oh, my gosh. Thank goodness you're here. See, in the intervening hours, apparently the principal had gotten a list for all of the students who hadn't showed up to class the first day of school, and it just had never gotten communicated to my principal that I actually was there, but just not on the roll marked present. And so he had called my mom and said, uh, Miss James, your son's not at school. Do you know where he is? And so for the rest of the day, this is before cell phones, before anything, right? She had just gone home, hoped that I was there, and then started worrying. Maybe I had gotten lost. Maybe I had been kidnapped. Maybe I had run away. Something had happened, and I was not there. But finally, I was home, safe and sound. I told her it was a misunderstanding, and I assured her the next time they called the roll, no matter what name they called, I would answer, Here. Elijah, in our story, has run away. He's absent from the Lord's work. He's gotten scared. He's afraid for his life. And he is running because of that fear. And it's an odd thing because Elijah is a prophet. Elijah is a great man of God. Elijah is someone that we would call a saint. A holy man who is intimately aware of God and of God's provision for him. But we've read an interesting part of Elijah's story. You see, he's getting near the end of his life. He's just had a profound moment of professional success. In the previous chapters, he's defeated the prophets of Baal. He has embarrassed the king and queen of Israel who are not good people. And he has proved that the Lord, Yahweh, is the God of everything. And in response, the queen wants to kill him. And so rather than standing up and meeting his faith, he skips town, runs away, and hides out. And he begins to complain. Complain that he's been left alone. Complain that there's no one else in Israel who understands him or understands his plight. No one at all else 
is willing to stand up. He feels alone. He feels abandoned. He's worried about what will happen to him. And quite frankly, he sits down underneath the tree and basically says to God, if this is all that's left, just take me now. I don't know if you've ever felt like Elijah. But no matter how good things have been or how successful you've been, you come to a point in your life where you feel abandoned. People that you've loved, that you've trusted. He's even left his servant alone and journeyed on even further. And quite frankly, for a man who has spent most of his ministry talking to God, he seems now to feel that God has stopped talking back. He feels alone and abandoned. But what's amazing is that God doesn't give up on Elijah. And in a way that is very familiar for anyone who's had a parent like this, God fixes him a meal and says, look, eat something, you'll feel better. He eats a little bit and he goes right back to bed. And so God sends the angel to tap him on the shoulder. Look, get up, eat something. We've got something to do. You have something else to learn. And he journeys on another 40 days to a very important place, Mount Horeb, or as it's other times called, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. The place where the people of God have met the Lord in good times and in bad. A place where they have heard God's law and God's assurance and a place that they would return to over and over as a reminder of God's covenant promises that God will be with the people no matter what. It's almost as if God knew that Elijah perhaps was forgetting that God is with him always and takes him back to a place that physically reminds him of God's presence. And then there's this miraculous moment, perhaps the, the famous part of the passage that you might remember, where God appears to Elijah, but in a profound way. First, there's a, a great violent wind that causes an avalanche, and God's not there. Uh, and, and then there's an earthquake, but God's not there. Then there's a fire, but, but God is not there. But then all of a sudden, there's the sound of a still, small voice. And Elijah remembers that God is with him. Now in some ways, I like to think of this encounter on the mountain as a way of summing up all of Elijah's life. The violent winds, the falling rocks, the earthquakes and the fires. Elijah had taken the worst the world could throw at him, and he was still there. And perhaps he wondered, at this point, had it been worth it? Had all the struggles and pain and suffering been worth it? To be here at the end of my life, left alone? And perhaps what God is saying, Elijah, you've never been alone. I've always been with you. 
But I wasn't out there. I was always within you. That still, small voice that called to you, encouraged you, prompted you, and in the moment when you felt like you were most alone, came to you and said, I'm still here. Now, before Elijah departs from the mountain, the Lord tells him a few other things. I didn't read that part, but he says, look, you've got a few more things left to do before I give you your request. You've got to go back and you have to tell the people that I'm still with them as well. And he says, look, you're going to go back to Israel and even though you think everyone's given up, there are still faithful people there that will meet you. And this is the strength that Elijah needs to complete his life's journey. This reminder that he's not alone, that there's a community that will surround him, and there is even one who will take up his mantle when he is ready to lay down life's burden. And in just a few verses, we read, Elisha, picking up the burden from the prophet Elijah. It's a profound and poignant thing to see this holy man of God, this saint, struggle with the same things that we often struggle with, wondering if our life has mattered, wondering if the journey has been worth it, wondering if as we approach the end, will there be anyone left to remember what we have done and to pick up the task that we lay down. I'm encouraged when I see great saints struggle and yet remain faithful to the end. That is what we see in the prophet Elijah this morning. And it is what we have seen in so many people that we name today and that we remember in our hearts. And so on this day of the church year, we pause. We pause to name those who have gone before us. And we do an odd thing. We call their name out loud. We call their names because their memory is dear to us and their absence still hurts. We call their names because their struggles and their triumphs helped to shape who we are today. We call their names not because they lived perfect lives, but because they were loved by a perfect Savior. We call their names because we know, whether we like to admit it or not, that we too will die. 
and we call their names because we hope to follow where they have gone. We call their names as a confession of our faith that they are not dead. They are alive. In just a few moments, we will lift these saints in prayer. We will read the sacred roll. We will call their names out loud. And if we listen closely, in our hearts, you might be surprised to hear the still, small voice echo back the call and say, I'm here. I'm here. Amen.